Jesus saves. That's why we're here today to celebrate. We gather together in moments like this, not just on Easter Sunday, but every Sunday we gather together to celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive, that He is not dead, that He is risen, just as He said that He was. But remember that while we sing those words, while we echo those statements of Jesus is alive, while it says as we just together saying that the redeemed of the Lord will forever sing that Jesus is alive, there was a moment in history when that refrain was not heard. You see, when we go back 2,000 years ago on that Friday, at 9 o'clock that morning when Jesus had gone through that experience, through that entire night of of having people beat him and mock him and ridicule him for what he said and what he believed. And then at nine o'clock that morning when they laid him down on that cross and they began to nail his hands to that cross, everything began to change. The disciples were gathered around, they were watching what took place. They were with their own eyes, they were eyewitnesses to seeing exactly what was taking place. And you have to imagine like their hearts were, were breaking. They began to feel this loss. They began to feel this experience of like this guy that we have been walking with and following, this one that we left everything and we gave our lives to serve him and to walk with him. Like at this moment, like right now, he's beginning to die. You see, they'd witnessed this many times before. It was not an unusual experience for crucifixions to take place in that time. That was a normal experience for those who lived in, under Roman rule, and so they're sitting there and they're watching as this one that they loved was nailed to the tree. And then as they lifted that cross and placed it in the ground, as the life began to slip away from his body, I can guarantee you the hope began to slip away from their hearts. And they watched through those next few agonizing hours as Jesus was gasping for breath. As people continued to ridicule and continued to mock him, continued to, to, to make fun of him for who he is and for what he had said and what he had done, and then 12 o'clock came. And because the scriptures tell us in Mark chapter 15 that at noon that day, what happened is the sky instantly grew dark. An unusual experience, a, a circumstance that they had not witnessed before, and all of a sudden everything went black. And they're sitting there now, and they're like, what's happening? What is going on? Like, what is happening in this moment? Now, they had to believe. I just, again, the Scriptures don't say this, but but I I kind of believe that in that moment, they probably thought, oh, this is it. Like, like this is the moment. Because right in the, like, right now, like, Jesus is going to come down from that cross. He's going to, like, come off that cross, and and angels are going to descend from heaven, and and he's going to win this battle, and he's not going to have to die. And that's what he meant when he said that he would rise again. And so they watched, probably, like, expectantly, like, with just waiting for that moment, and, and it didn't happen. They continued to watch as Jesus was hanging on that cross, and second by second, minute by minute, his life continued to slowly slip away, gasping for breath, doing his best to to push against the the pain of the nails in his feet, to push up just for one more breath, just to have an opportunity to get a little bit of air in his lungs because it was such a difficult moment. And that happened minute by minute, second by second, for what seemed like a lifetime. And then three o'clock came. And when three o'clock came, everything changed. 
The disciples were gathered. They were kind of on the outskirts. They weren't close. The Bible says they were watching from afar because obviously they were nervous and and they were worried because like they didn't want to have to go through what he was going through. They didn't want to have to experience the same thing that Jesus experienced. And so they're sitting there and they're watching. And in that moment, they heard some words that were coming like just faint little words because he barely had any breath left in his body. And they heard Jesus say something and they probably leaned in a little bit like, what did he say? And they heard the words, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That had to be like a gut punch to the disciples, to the women who were watching, to the mother of Jesus who was standing by. God forsake his own child? He told us that he was the son of God. Why would God do this? How is this possible? And Jesus himself is saying, why is God forsaking me? And then the moments following, they continued to watch as the breathing became even more labored. And then as the scripture tells us, Jesus breathed his last. When that moment came, I I can only imagine that any vestige of hope that remained in the hearts of the disciples probably quickly drained away. Like any thought that they had that Jesus was going to be victorious in this moment, like instantly they probably had to believe like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's done. And a couple hours after that, the sun was slowly beginning to set. And and by Jewish tradition, they they couldn't allow this body to remain on the cross. So you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 21, 22 and 23, verses 22 and 23, where it says that that when someone is condemned to die and they're, they're nailed to a tree, you cannot leave them up there overnight because even the blood that is draining from the body, that it will desecrate the land, that this land that God had promised to Israel. And so they knew they had to take his body down. And so the scriptures tell us in Mark chapter 15 that Joseph of Arimathea, he went to Pilate and he asked, can I take the body of Jesus down and bury him? I've got a tomb, I've got it prepared, I've got it ready, can I take the body down? Pilate, it says, was surprised that he was dead. He he asked the guards, is it true that Jesus is already dead? And, And they confirmed that in fact that he had breathed his last, so Pilate said, sure, it's done. We don't have to worry about that anymore. This story is finished, it's over, book is done. So Joseph went and took the body of Jesus down. The scriptures tell us again in Mark chapter 15 that that he took the body down and then he, he wrapped it in some fine linen. And that was an unusual thing because normally there would be like a, a procedure they would go through to prepare a body for burial back in those days. The, the Jews, they didn't embalm people in that day. That was an Egyptian thing. They didn't do that. And so, so he took the body, he wrapped it in linen. He didn't prepare it. He didn't anoint it. He didn't put perfume or spices in it. Literally wrapped it in cloth and put the body of Jesus into a tomb. And then it says, and they rolled a large stone to cover the entrance to the tomb. Now, you know the story. Pilate sent some guards to stand by to make sure that no one would go and break in and, and try to create some kind of conflict or controversy or, or create you know, some kind of element where people might believe that this Jesus that they had just killed, this Jesus who was dead, this Jesus who was done for, 
They didn't want to have any situation where maybe his disciples would come and and steal the body and hide it away so people would think, oh, this Jesus must be alive. They didn't want any of that conspiracy theory stuff. Like, it was over, it was done. Never again do we have to hear from Jesus. And then the sun went down. Darkness. The Sabbath had begun. Now that Jesus is in the tomb, Can you imagine what must have been going through the minds of the disciples, what could have been going through the minds of Mary Magdalene and and the other women who were gathered there, Mary, the mother of Jesus? Like, Like, what could they have been thinking? Like, we heard Him say that He was the Son of God. We heard Him say that He would rise again. We, we, we heard him say all of these things. We watched him heal the sick and raise the dead. We listened to the sermons. Like, we heard all of these incredibly hopeful, amazing stories and statements. And like, can it really be over? Is it really done? And Scripture will tell us that in their minds, in their hearts, they pretty much agreed the story's done. The story's written. In fact, when you read in the Scriptures in Mark chapter 16, you go into verse 14, I believe it is, Jesus Himself, after He rose from the grave, it says that He went and He rebuked the disciples because they did not believe that He would rise again. They did not believe that He was alive. And so, yeah, they're sitting there, hopeless. The Bible also tells us in John chapter 20 that they had locked themselves away. They were hiding because they were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid that that maybe they might come for them too. They were afraid that maybe the same faith that Jesus experienced now, he's dead, he's in the grave, like we might be next. And so it says that they locked themselves away, that they hid themselves away so that that maybe, just maybe, they they could protect themselves. And so that day continued. The Sabbath, it was Saturday, a day when people were gathered together with families and they were remembering all of the things that God had done, remembering the promises of the Mosaic law that says that on this day you're to rest and you're not to do anything but to, to, to honor God. And so they're gathered together, or their families gathered together with their friends. And then just as it did the day before, as it came up to late afternoon, the sun began to slowly fall in the sky. And The sunset was just around the corner. The Sabbath was almost over. And it's at that point that we begin to pick up the story for today. A story that began in hopelessness. A story that was so tragic and so heartbreaking for those who followed Christ. I can't even imagine what they must have been thinking. Just a couple of days ago, I happened to be looking at the the Guardian newspaper out of the United Kingdom. And there was a photo that was there on the front page of that newspaper. It was taken by a guy guy named Roman Pilipe. He's a European press photographer, normally stationed in Beijing, but but now he's in Ukraine covering the war that's taking place there in that country. And he took a photo in the Busha region, region as the Russians began to move out of that area, move to a different part of Ukraine, and there were bodies strewn everywhere. And he took a photo, and I saw this photo, and it was a a gripping photo, because it was the body bag of of someone who had been killed, a civilian who had been killed in the war. 
but the body bag wasn't quite all the way zipped up. It was just like zipped up almost to the shoulders of this individual who lost their lives. And, and the photo and the way he took it and the lighting that was perfect, like the gap that was there in the body bag, you could see the face of the person who'd been killed. His eyes were still open in that body bag. And as I saw that picture that now has literally circled the globe, telling the story of all that is taking place, the horrific events that are happening there in Ukraine, I couldn't help but think, that the hopelessness that that picture depicts of what's taking place in Ukraine had to be a little bit of what the disciples were feeling. It's done. It's over. He's dead. What now? When we continue reading in Scripture in Mark chapter 16, there's a few verses here today that I just want to share with you because it tells the story of what happened next. When the question was, what now? Mark chapter 16 answers the question. Because it tells us in this passage in verse 1, now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome, they went and they bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very earlier in the morning on the first day of the week, they came into the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now, these six verses that I just read to you, it gives us a narrative, a picture of what took place in that Sunday morning, that first Easter Sunday, that time that was coming out of hopelessness, coming out of darkness, coming out of despair, and what happened next. But there's a narrative that is a kind of thread that, that runs through this six verses, through this story that today I think is the thread that runs through our lives. The same thread that was going through these six verses is like what every single one of us experiences. And it starts in verse 1 where it very clearly gives us a picture, a recognition in verse 1 of the, the pain and the waiting that they experienced as these followers of Christ. You go back to verse 1 and it tells us that on that Sunday morning, or actually on the, the night before, when the Sabbath had passed on Saturday night, the sky had gone dark, and so the Sabbath was now officially over. And it says that Mary Magdalene and, and mother, Mary, the mother of James and, and Salome, that they went out into the city. And that's a normal thing at the end of Sabbath, because on Sabbath, like, everything is closed. Like all the shops are closed and the restaurants are closed. Even today, you go to Israel, and when you're there, when it comes Friday night all the way to Saturday night, like there is nobody moving, there's nothing happening, there are no businesses open, like you are in the middle of like absolute quiet. But then when Saturday night comes, like everything begins to open back up. The shops begin to open, and, and the restaurants begin humming, and, and people are out in the streets, and they're driving around, and they're walking around, because they're, they're emerging from that moment of the Sabbath. And that's what took place there. And I can see it kind of like in my mind of what took place here, is that Mary Magdalene and, and the other women, that when it came out of that Sabbath moment, when they walked out of the place where they were observing the Sabbath, that they probably made their way into what we know today, the old city of Jerusalem. Now, of course, back then it wasn't the old city of Jerusalem, it was just Jerusalem. 
and they made their way into those little alleyways that today that still shops are on every side narrow narrow little alleyways and they're like like every eight feet ten feet there's a different shop and they're selling all kinds of things and they had in their mind like there's a specific place we've got to go like they were thinking like there's somewhere we've got to get to this place i know where it is it's an incredible place probably they had visited there before because it was a place that they wanted to go buy some perfume they wanted to go buy some some spices some anointing spices and and so they were looking for that one shop making their way through the crowd and and probably pushing through the crowds of people who were coming out from the sabbath and finally they arrived at that little shop and when they walked up to the shop they said listen we want your best perfume we want the best that you have we want the best spices and and then they purchased those from that shopkeeper And they got them together and they wrapped them up in that little cloth and they protected them. And as they made their way back through the crowd, protecting them so they wouldn't get, you know, knocked out of their hands and they would, you know, break. Like, they protected them all the way back to their home. And then it tells us that the next day, that when the sun came up, that they began to make their way to the tomb. Now, the reason this picture is so important, because what it reminds us again is that they had no inclination whatsoever that Jesus was going to rise again. They'd heard him say it. They'd heard him say it over and over again, but when they were making their way to the tomb, they weren't going there to sit there and watch him rise again. They weren't making their way there to see like this miraculous moment when Jesus emerged from the tomb. Like if they would have done that, they would have not gone to buy the perfume and the spices where they you know, would have grabbed their little, you know, their little portable chairs and they would have gone and set it up and, and got them on a nice spot under a tree where it's nice and shady so they could sit there and watch that stone. So when it's rolled away and Jesus comes back to life, like man, they had a front row seat. That's not what they were doing because they didn't believe that he was actually going to do it. And so the pain that they were still going through, all that they could think to do is like, hey, we're going to go and we're going to prepare this body to spend the rest of time in this tomb. It's a tradition. It's something that they would have done. And and that's what they were preparing to do because there was pain in that moment, pain in that experience. But then as they picked up those spices, as they picked up that perfume, and on Sunday morning as they made their way from their homes over to where the garden, then we continue reading this passage, and then we see, and they're like in their journey, and they're thinking in their minds, like the uncertainty of their circumstances. Look what it says in verse 2 or 3 again. In verse 2 it says, very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us. Who will roll away the stone? Isn't that interesting? As they were walking to the tomb that day and the pain that they were experiencing, the heartache that they had to have been going through, again, not thinking that Jesus was going to be risen, not thinking that he was going to come back to life, all that they could think of, the only thing they could focus on, the only thing that was in their mind is like, who's going to move that big rock? Because this was a massive stone that covered the entrance to that tomb. And they knew there's no way in the world that we could do it. There's just three of us ladies that there's no way we can move that big boulder. That's not going to happen. They're thinking, well, I don't know, maybe the guards can help us when we get there. Maybe there'll be just kind of people milling around in the garden area or along the streets so we could, you know, enlist to come and help us to move that stone. Like that's the only thing they could think of. And I can't help but think of in that story, that thread that's being given to us here in Mark chapter 16, it's kind of the same thread that we walk through every day with our lives. Because what we do so often is we are so focused on 
the problems that is just ahead that we lose sight of what's even further ahead. All that we can focus on, all that our minds and our hearts are fixed on, it's like the challenge of the moment, the heartbreak of this situation, the pain that I'm going through right now, like they were encompassed completely, like, like enveloped in this whole idea, like who's going to move the rock? And that's all they could get their mind to think of. That's all that they could focus on. It was the uncertainty of like, what are we going to do when we get there? We have this perfume. We have these spices. How are we going to get into the place where his body is there? How are we going to do it? They couldn't figure it out. Man, that sounds a lot like the journeys that we walk, doesn't it? Like every day, like how in the world am I going to make it through this? How in the world am I going to make it through that? How am I going to make it through this this moment of conflict, this moment of division, this situation that I'm facing? And so that's the same story, the same situation that that Mary and and Mary, the mother of of James and and Salome, were going through. But then, in the picture of all of this, there was something incredible that happened when they actually got to the garden. When they arrived at the tomb, the thread that we see now is the surprise of the unexpected, because look what it says in verse 4. In verse 4, it says this, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. Now, those are some interesting words. Interesting words because it starts with that statement, but when they looked up, I think everybody in this room with your Bible, your phone, wherever you read your Bible, you ought to highlight, underline, circle, like do what, like point arrows to those four words, five, no, one, two, three, four, five, five words, but when they looked up is what you ought to focus on. Now, why should we focus on that? Here's why. Because so often in life, we are so consumed by the problem that we're walking through, so consumed by the anger, so consumed by the anxiety, so consumed by the tragedy, the pain, all of the stuff that we're going through, the uncertainty of what is next, that what we do is we walk through these moments of life and our heads are looking down. Our eyes are not fixed above. They're looking down. And I can just see them, can't you? Like walking along, heads down, discouraged. They're not looking around and seeing the beauty of that area. They're not seeing like the flowers that are blooming. They're not seeing the birds that are chirping. Like none of that. All they're doing, walking with their heads down, looking at the ground. Life is over. He's dead. How are we going to move that rock? And then when they arrive in the garden and they, they look up, they see something they were not expecting. You can imagine the shock. What a great lesson for all of us. Like, hey, when you're walking through difficult times, quit focusing on the problems below and fix your eyes on the one who delivers from above. Keep your eyes up. And so they arrived at the tomb that day, and they looked up, and man, they were shocked. You can imagine, like, the rock is moved. The stone is gone. Now, again, like, what's going through their minds? Like, what has happened here? And the first thing that's happened, they did not think, oh my goodness, he did rise again. Like, this is incredible. He did exactly what he promised that he would do. That's not what first went through their minds. In fact, what probably went through their minds first is like someone has gone in and they've corrupted the body, destroyed the body. They've done something horrible. They probably were setting themselves up for like the worst possible scenario that maybe they've gone in and they've, they've cut the body of Jesus apart, or maybe they've stolen his body, or maybe they've taken pieces of his body and, and shipped it around so people could see, we have beat Jesus, it is over, it is done. Their minds had to be fixed on like the worst possible scenario. 
boy, when they looked up and they saw that rock move, man, the shock was huge. But, but what happened immediately after is just incredible. Because what they experienced like right then was the, pro- pro- the promise of the miraculous. Like, oh my goodness, like, like this is something big. Look what it says in verse 5 and 6. In verse 5 and 6, and so entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. I imagine all of us would be. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. They walked into that tomb that day. Again, expecting the the worst, expecting like the worst case uh, situation, and they walk in, and when they walk in, in fact, other passages, Luke chapter 24 tells us there were two angels in that place. Now, only one is recorded about, talked about here in Mark, because he's the one that spoke. And he said, hey, don't be alarmed. Like, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Like, this is good news. Like this Jesus that you're coming to look for, you know, the one that they nailed to the tree two days ago, you know, like remember on Friday when he was up on the cross and you were standing from us looking out from, a, from afar and you're watching as his life drained from his body. Hey, good news. He is alive. He is risen. He is not here. And so you can imagine now, like, like in this moment, in this instant, like this doesn't make sense. Seriously? I know he said it. I know that he made it very clear that he was going to rise again. He talked about that whole thing like, like hey, the, the temple's going to be torn down, but in three days I will rebuild it. Like, I know he said it, but seriously, can this be real? Now, when you read this passage, it talks about that young man who was seated there, and it actually talks about what he was wearing. And no, this was not like some People magazine picture of like, on the right carpet today, they're wearing that. No, it was not that at all. That's not why it says that he's wearing a long white robe. The reason that it says that he was wearing a long white robe is because that was a picture, a glimpse, an image of that this was angelic. That this was different than anyone else that could be in that tomb. That this was a miraculous thing. In fact, you go over into the book of Revelation. And John writes in that passage about, again, the miraculous, and it talks about the white robes, and it talks about all of those things that, that will be part of that, that return, of the cry, of return of Christ when He comes back, like all of that stuff, and it's an image of that, a picture of that, like, yes, indeed, absolutely, this is an angel of the living God. And He's saying, He's risen. Jesus has done exactly what He said that He would do. Jesus has done exactly what he told you he was going to do. Now, you know the rest of the story. The angel goes on to tell Mary, Magdalene, and the others, like, hey, go and tell the disciples. Go tell Peter. Like, make sure you go and, like, let him know he's alive. He's not here. And so they went out. And it says they went out with trembling. They were afraid. And you can, you can like, every one of us would have been afraid. Like, every one of us would have been trembling. Like, this was something they weren't expecting, something like that doesn't make sense. And so they walked out of that tomb. They're shaking. They're nervous. And, and of course, in the gospel accounts, we hear the story. You continue reading in Mark chapter 16, you know what happened. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene and, and along the way, and, and she realizes it's him. And like, my, my teacher, my, my Lord, like that picture that's there. It goes on to tell us, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that Jesus appeared to, to so many and, and all the different people, 500 plus, that he appeared to in the days to come. He arrived in that place where the disciples were, were hiding. They were kind of locked away, and he arrived there and, and kind of was in their midst where he, they were locked away, and Jesus appeared to them. I mean, we know the story. We know the picture. 
And in every one of those pictures, in every one of those stories, in every one of those elements, the idea is just simply this. Jesus did exactly what he promised that he would do. Jesus did exactly what he promised that he would do. Now, when we began walking through the story, I told you that there's a thread that that kind of goes through this entire narrative, these six verses. It's a thread that goes through all of our lives. Every single one of us. Because every single one of us experience in our journey the pain of our present circumstance. We experience the pain of what we're going through. We wonder, like, is this true? Did God actually say, did Jesus really die? Did he really rise again? Can we truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he died for our sins? Is it true that that he did all of the things that he said that he did? Like, can I count on it? Can I lean into that? Can I depend on that? Why? Because if we can't, then life is hopeless. And we'll be just like those on that Saturday when they were locked away in the fear and the, the literally the tomb of their uncertainty and fear, of the despair. What do we do now? But in the midst of every one of our lives, there also has to be the second part of that thread. And the second part of that thread It comes down to the unexpected. It comes down to the promise. It comes down to the miraculous. That it does not matter who you are or what you've done. Jesus died on the cross for you. And he rose again for you. And he paid for your sins. And Jesus did exactly what he promised that he would do for us all. What a great gift. What an amazing story. And so, yes, indeed, Jesus did exactly what he said that he would do. And what is it that Jesus said that he would do? He said that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus will do exactly what he promised to do. What else did Jesus say that he came to do? Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and following. And it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. In other words, it's for everyone. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus will do exactly what Jesus promised that he would do. The question is, has he done that for you? Because I know as we gather in this room, thousands of people who are seated here, hundreds of thousands more watching on television, like I know this story, I know this situation, like I know that there are people hearing my voice right now that have never come to the place where they said, I believe in Jesus. I trust that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died and that He rose again. And so I give myself 100% all to him that you've never done that. Now, what I want you to know is if Jesus will always do exactly what he promised that he would do, we also have to recognize that God's word says this, that if we die, when we die, that if we die without Christ, we will spend an eternity in a real place called hell. But if we die with Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives, we will spend in a very real place in eternity called heaven. Jesus will do exactly what he promised that he would do. 
And so today, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, as we sit in this room today, I know there are people here who have never made that decision. I know there are people here today that have never come to the place where they've said, I believe in Jesus. I believe it. I believe that He's the Son of God, and I believe that He died and that He rose again. Like, I believe this story of the gospel. I get it. I understand it, and I want to give my life to Him today. I want to trust Him with my whole heart, my whole being, as Jesus said. Like, believe and love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like, I am all in. You've never done that. Today's the day to do that. In a moment, I'm going to lead a simple prayer. And when I lead this prayer, it's not magic words, nothing that will like, you know, wave a wand or abracadabra, it's not like that at all. It's just simply taking God at His word, doing for you what God said, I will do. Why? Because God will always do exactly what He promised that He will do. And so as I pray this prayer, and you're seated in this room, and if you've never come to that place where you've said, yes, I believe, I trust Him today, I'm going to ask you in the quiet of this moment that you silently from your heart to God's, that you pray this prayer along with me today. That you pray this prayer asking God to save you because it matters and it's real and it's the only way to escape from the hopelessness and the despair of eternity without God. And so would you just pray this prayer with me right now silently from your heart to God's. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. I believe that Jesus is your son. And I believe that he died and that he rose again. I believe that he's the only one that can save me. So today, forgive me of my sins. Today, save me through your son, Jesus. I give you my life. I give you my all. Thank you, God, for saving me through your son, Jesus. Help me to live for you for the rest of my life as you give me the power to do it. Thank you, God, for saving me. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, as I look around this room, I know this. I know there are people in this room that prayed that prayer. I believe that with all my heart. We had a, a number of those in the first service that, that prayed that prayer. Now, as we're seated here with no one looking around, Everyone's head bowed, everyone's eye closed. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer, what I want you to do right now is I want you, wherever you are in this room, I just want you to slip your hand up right now because I want to pray for you. Don't want you to be ashamed. I don't want you to like worry like what people are going to think. Like that is so unimportant in the scope of eternity. Like this is the biggest deal, the biggest decision, the most incredible moment that you will ever have. Like, this is it. This is the real deal. This is the coming to the tomb and looking up, and the tomb, the stone has been rolled away. Like, the hearing the, 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 the statements of that young man in the long white robe, like, he is risen. Like, this is that moment for you. And so I want you to not be embarrassed. I don't want you to be, put your hand up wherever you are right now, and keep that hand up. Keep that hand raised right now. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do this wherever you are, with no one looking around. If you are raising your hand right now, if you prayed that prayer, here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to stand up right now, wherever you are. Don't be ashamed. Like, do it with pride. Do it with, like, excitement. Like, stand up wherever you're on the wrong. Come on, stand up right now. Like, seriously, come on, stand up. Everybody stand up. I see in the back right over here. Come on, go ahead and stand up wherever you are right now in this room. Do not be ashamed. Like, this is awesome. This is exciting. 
In fact, in fact, everyone who's seated right now, like, let's just, let man, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want you to clap louder than you've ever clapped before in your life of what God is doing right now in this moment. Like, stand up right now. If you prayed that prayer, stand up, wherever you are in this room. Now, as you stand up and remain standing, and if you're still seated and you need to stand, I want you to stand too. Like, like right here, the kids right here in front, Tom. Did you talk to the two kids? Awesome. Listen, while you're standing, someone either has or someone will come alongside of you in just a moment. And they're going to hand you some information to help you as you begin this journey. But maybe, just maybe, you didn't stand up. Maybe you're sitting at home right now and you wonder, like, what do I do? Like, I'm not sure what's next. Here's what I want to tell you. Like for those in the room, there's a card that was on the back of the seat in front of you. In front of you. I want you to take that card with you. And there on that card, some information to help you begin that next journey. If you're watching from home right now, you can go to trbc.org slash Easter. And there you'll find some information that will help you begin this journey. This is a big, big, big deal. It is a life-altering, life-changing transformation that not only changes today, it changes eternity. He is not dead. He is alive. He is risen, and He is risen for you. God, I pray right now for every person who's standing in this room. For those who made this decision, Father, God, I thank you for this decision. I thank you for their heart. I thank you for, Lord, bringing them into the place where they recognize they need a Savior, and Jesus is the only one that can save them. God, I pray right now that you would lead them and guide them. Lord, help them in these next days ahead, Lord, to recognize what it truly means to be a child of the living God. God, I pray that you would provide to them, Lord, your ever-powerful presence in their lives, God. And we thank you in advance for the work that you are going to do. Now, for all of you, understand this. In a moment, we're going to be ending our service. And if you're here and you want to talk more about this decision, maybe you're not quite sure. Maybe you're like, I didn't stand because I, like, I want to know more. Like our team is gathered here. We have pastors and counselors that literally are all around this room. Man, we'd love to talk with you. And so when the service is over, I encourage you just to come up to them and say, listen, tell me more. I want to hear more. Tell me now. Like I, I want more of this story, this powerful story of Jesus. And here's why it's so important. Because there was a day 2,000 years ago when on that Friday afternoon that Jesus breathed his last at 3 o'clock that day, when it seemed like, like everything was done and there was nothing left, when hope had gone, when life was over, when there was nothing to look forward to, when people were walking in their despair, when like this is it, it is done, there is nothing left. But understand this. Because there is a God in heaven who loves the entire world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The fact that that God today is still seated on the throne, the one thing that I know is this, is that no matter how many Friday afternoon experiences that we go through, no matter how many moments of hopelessness, no matter how many whole moments of despair and pain and sorrow and suffering, here's what I know. Because Christ is risen, there's always a morning. There's always a Sunday. There's always an Easter. There's always a resurrection. Jesus Christ is alive. He is not here. He is risen just as he said that he would. Let's stand and let's worship. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. 
Thank you for celebrating with us this Easter Sunday, and we're so glad that you joined us. If you prayed today to receive Christ, we'd love to hear from you, and we want to help you as you begin your faith journey in Jesus Christ. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation for the forgiveness of your sins made possible by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help. So just reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more about our Savior. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on the screen to make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.